Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. As Ben said, my name's Travis. Uh, You may or may not know me. Um, I've been coming here with my family for the past six months. Uh, You probably know my brother and his beautiful wife, Joel and Carmel, better than me. Um, And their kids, Max and Maya. But um, this morning's interesting because I've got my whole family here. So they're my mum and dad are here as well. And my sister and her husband are actually overseas at the moment doing a bit of stuff so they couldn't be here. But it's a bit of a family affair. So the the pressure's on, you might say. Um, I have three boys, uh, Noah, Jet and Lockie. uh, And they are here this morning as well, and um, they've been loving coming to hear God's Word in this place um, as, as we've been coming over the past six months. So just a bit of my background, previous to that, I was living in Albury, Wodonga in Victoria. Um, I was working in a Lutheran school there as a, a like a deputy principal, I guess, um, and um, spent, yeah, five and a half years there, uh, probably this time last year, um, God really put on my heart that I needed to consider moving back to South Australia. And I pretty well said, you're kidding, I don't want to. Um, nothing against my family or anything else. But, uh, but uh, I, yeah, I didn't really want to. I was really in love to Wodonga, but God wouldn't leave me alone. So I um, decided I should be obedient. And I said to God, if you want me to move back, you need to open some doors. Um, and open some doors, he did. And I ended up saying, please shut these doors. But... No, he didn't, and um, I ended up back here actually working at Hills here, and I uh, love it, I love it, and actually, I've got the best job in the world. My job is Director of Christian Faith. What that actually means, I don't know. Um, what my job is, I don't know, but what I get to do is speak to kids about God, and I get to make sure that our school over there is, is honouring God in what we do, um, and it, it's a big responsibility but a great honour to be able to do that. I also teach and hang out with the kids too which which I love. Um, so that's where I am at the moment. Um, another really good part about moving back to South Australia and even though I didn't want to I must say it has been a real blessing to my family, my boys and I um, and coming here it feels like we have a church family again um, which is beautiful. Um, so I was just reflecting on this the other day and I was wondering when it actually sunk in that this place was where we're supposed to be. And I can remember last school holidays sitting up the back there with my boys. There's usually a heater up there because it's freezing cold in here. So we try and get close to that heater. And um, we were up there on this uh, Sunday. It was school holidays. So all the kids were still in here. Quite a bit of noise going on. And um, we were up the back. It was the last, last song. Um, and people were being called forward for prayer and were singing. And we had a little visitor. And this little visitor was in the form of Benji Shepherd. I don't know if you know Benj, um, but Benji and Lockie, my youngest son, have hit off this beautiful friendship. Um, beautiful in their eyes. I don't know if it's going to be so good for myself, Joe and Dave in the future, but um, beautiful in, in their eyes. They're very much alike if you know Benj and Lock. Anyway, it got to this last song. It was a nice feeling in the place. And Benji decided he thought it would be a good idea to have a group hug with the Wheezies. So there were five boys up the back having a hug um, as his last song was being played and I can remember thinking at that point this is this is beautiful this is where we're supposed to be so thank Benji he's going out but thanks Benj 
he's uh, got a lot of love in that little boy. So, so that was really nice. But although God has worked in some amazing ways to get me and my family back here to South Australia, this is not what I'm here to talk to you about. I'm here to talk to you about something a little bit different. And, um, but before I get into that journey, I just want to spend some time this morning speaking to you guys um, from God's Word, because it's really important to me that what I share this morning is grounded in Scripture. Um, and my journey, I guess, has been a battle at times, and I have really battled with what's written in this book and what God says to us, um, and it has been important that I have sort of thrashed some of that stuff out, and I have thrashed some of that stuff out with God over the last five or six years. So it's really important that I do that to start with, and I just want to put out there right now that we should never, ever underestimate the power that exists in this book here, um, the Bible. And it's often overlooked in today's times, but it is absolutely my experience that that book, what's written in that book, has the potential to speak to people of all ages, all experiences, um, and the power that exists in it is unquestionable. And um, working in the school over there, I get the privilege to go into primary school classrooms. I never thought I'd say I'd like hanging out with little kids, but I really do, starting off as a secondary teacher. But going into primary school to classrooms and just sharing a devotion with them, and I've been doing the last term, I've been sharing the um, story of Jonah and the whale with the littlies, um, and talking about prayer and how, how Jonah spoke to God wherever he was, particularly in the belly of a big fish. And... Um, but these Bible stories that we teach the kids, um, it just fills their minds with wonder and questions about God. Um, but for us as adults, if you actually spend the time to really study those books, those stories, sorry, um, you soon realise that each of them point to something else. They point to something greater and they point to a greater purpose and that is the coming Messiah of Christ. And what I find amazing about that is most of those stories were written thousands of years before Christ is even a reality. And so if you ever deny what power is written in that book, I think you need to have a good look at yourself because there is some amazing stories and how it's all linked is unbelievable. So I'm trying to teach the kids that and the kids, little kids, they get it. So um, we should get it too, I think, as adults. So um, don't ever, ever underestimate what's in that book. But when I read it now, I guess um, having a bit more experience in faith, for the last five or so years, every time I read that book, um, I am reminded of who God is and more importantly, his true nature. And um, for me, it constantly points me to that. And I'm reminded of a God who won't be pushed around. I'm reminded of a God who's fierce, but I'm also reminded of a God who is love and has a constant desire to communicate with his people. Now, I've sat in church like most of you guys for the last few months as we looked at the book of Joshua. And I'm sure there have been different times throughout those, those sermons where you have also left with that same impression of God. He works in crazy and unexpected ways. And I believe without this book, even in today's time, we would have no means of working out what all that is about. So with this in mind, um, I just want to bring your attention to the screen, and hopefully a Bible ver or a statement goes up there, not that one, go back, back, that one, thank you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my love is made perfect in weakness, 
And for me, when I read that, it's one of these crazy and unexpected things that God has said, and it does not make sense in today's times. So power being made perfect in weakness, and I'm left thinking, what is that actually all about? And although I know this wasn't meant for me directly, it's actually God speaking to Paul. When I read it, it feels like God is speaking directly to my heart. And I think for some of us this morning, God is going to use this here to speak directly to your heart as well. And although I could probably go into this a lot deeper, for the purpose of what I want to share with you this morning, um, I just want to draw your attention to what sits around this, this verse in 2 Corinthians, um, because it appears to be a time in Paul's life where God reminds him of who, who he is to rely on. And as I read this, it speaks volumes to me about my life experience and probably where I'm at at the moment. So I'd just like to read 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. And if you've got your Bibles, you can read it, but it'll be on the screen as well, um, or you can use your phones. So it says this, Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak then I am strong. And I read this passage, and when I reflect on this, I'm left with two very strong and clear reminders about who God is and what God is. And I'm almost certain that there are people sitting here this morning um, that when you hear the rest of this message, you'll be able to relate to this on a really personal and deep level. Um, So the first reminder that I get when I read this, um, and this is probably a hard one to take at times, but I'm reminded that like any good and loving father, there are times where God says no. And we read um, in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul is given an affliction, which he refers to as a thorn in his side. And we also read in that verse that he pleads of God three times to take this affliction from him. But each of these times, God declines. And it's been absolutely my experience, especially in the past six or seven years, that there's come times in my life where God has said no. However, like in Paul's case, I believe God often says the words, no but. And he's not a Queenslander. I can guarantee you that because they love no but. But it is in the but that I believe God's beauty, wisdom, and undeniable mercy can be found. So in Paul's case, God's no but was this. It was in these words. For my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And as I prepared for this morning, um, I was doing some reading, and I actually came across a message that I presented to some kids at my last school, um, and I was trying to get across to them this idea that God won't be pushed around and there is a time when, like any good father, he does say no. 
And I came across this article that I'd read, I'd read um, and I'd just like to share it with you this morning because I think you'll find it to be extremely uplifting, but also a sober reminder of who God is. Um, so this article, well, I don't know who wrote it, but it's called God Says No, and this is what it says. It says, I asked God to take my habit away, but God said no, it's not for me to take away, but for you to give it up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole. God said no, his or her spirit is whole. His or her body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience. God said no, patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It isn't granted, it's learnt. I asked God to give me happiness. God said no, I will give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain. God said no. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no, you must grow your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked God for all things that I might enjoy life. God said, no, I will give you life so that you may enjoy all things. I asked God to help me to love others as much as he loves me. And God said, ah, you finally have the idea. This is your day. Don't throw it away. May God bless you. I'm not sure about you, but when I read that, I'm reminded of a God that promises us amazing things, a life of choice and a life of opportunity. But I'm also reminded and very aware that at different times in life comes hurt and heartache. And what's so beautiful about our God is that he's more than willing to get down and dirty with us as we navigate the good and bad of life. He doesn't promise to take it away, but he promises to get down that pit with us as we're going through these things. And I guess it's this hurt and this heartache that brings me to my second reminder. And the second reminder is really much based around this thorn on my side. Like what we read Paul referring to this thorn on his side. And for me, this thorn comes in the form of the journey that I'm gonna share with you this morning. And this thorn is not there because I don't wanna share the journey with you, but because it hurts to do so. And I've asked God like Paul on numerous occasions to take this thorn from me so I probably don't have to share it. But again, like Paul, God keeps saying to me, no, Travis, you will share this for my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. So if I'm gonna be completely honest with you this morning, I may need a little bit of your patience as I go through this, as I gather my emotions at different times. But through what I'm about to share with you, um, and this is, this is my greatest prayer, that you may witness God's power be made perfect in weakness, and that you might encounter a living God that I can guarantee you that right now is closer to you than your breath. So we come this morning to this journey, and I would love to be able to stand up here in front of you all this morning, full of praise and wonder for my God, and speak to you guys about a time when he performed a miracle of complete physical healing in a person that I loved so dearly, but I can't. Rather, I stand here still full of praise and wonder in response to my God, to a time that he involved himself in a fairly messed up situation, and in doing so revealed his mercy, love, power, and undeniable control over all things. You three shouldn't be sitting there. 
So this journey I talk about started back in October of 2015. Um, in October of 2015, for my family and I, this was a fairly exciting time. Um, we were planning to move to Mildura. So I just won a position in a Lutheran school up in Mildura. And it was a, a really exciting time for our family. And we'd spent a couple of times traveling up to Mildura. Um, and um, we uh, had taken the boys to the school and we're all ready to set to go. And on the last trip up, on the way home, uh, my wife, Ash, pipes up from the seat beside me in the car and says to me that she'd found a small lump in one of her breasts. At this point, I, well, we weren't too worried about this lump. As Ash was a young, very fit um, person who'd rarely had any medical conditions. But unfortunately, we were terribly wrong. And to cut a, short, a long story short, following about three weeks of scans and tests in Adelaide, we were invited to an appointment at the RAH and told that Ash had stage four advanced breast cancer. The little lump that she had found in her chest um, was a part of a much larger tumour um, that had grown into her chest cavity and by the time we had found it or they had found it, the cancer had already spread to her liver and her spine. And being fairly new to cancer, we didn't really understand the significance of Ash's diagnosis. Uh, I guess doctors in their wisdom don't tell you this, um, but after a quick search of Dr. Google one night, which isn't a good idea, uh, he revealed the true significance of what was going on in Ash's body. I think at that stage, the four-year survival rate of stage four advanced breast cancer was about 20%. And on, this, on the page, it quite clearly said there's no cure for a disease that had spread to this extent. And you don't like to think about the words terminal, and not that I could bring myself to admit it, but that's probably where it was at. And I could vividly remember sitting with Ash at the RAH after being delivered this news and pleading with God to step in and questioning if he was ever actually going to reveal himself to us in this situation. And... As it turned out, God did answer our prayers and started to reveal himself in some amazing but very confronting ways. And so we left the RAH that day and with a chemotherapy plan and Ash was, I guess, ready to take on what was to come. Um, and it wasn't too long after that, that it was one Saturday morning that I woke up um, in bed crying. I don't know if you ever woke up crying. It's a bit of a strange feeling. I sat up in bed and I turned over and there Ash was sitting up in bed crying also. I thought, this is a little bit strange. And um, I looked over and said, why are you crying, Ash? And she said, oh, I've just had a dream. And she looked at me and said, why are you crying? And I said, just had a dream. And I th thought, oh, this is a bit, a bit weird. So I asked Ash what was, her, what was her dream about. And I guess for me, this is where it might get a little bit tough, so bear with me. Um, she said to me that she um, saw her funeral and she said to me that she could see her coffin on the stage like this. Um, and she said, my funeral was in a massive hall. There were lots of people there. And she said it was strange though because the three boys were bigger. And she said, Noah and Jet were definitely bigger. And she said what she remembered mostly about this dream is little Lockie um, was sitting next to me on a chair and she could see his legs dangling. They couldn't quite touch the ground in the stadium, and I thought, oh, that's a bit weird. 
And she said, oh, what did you dream? And I said, well, I dreamt that we were somewhere, wasn't here, wasn't in Strath. And I said that I dreamt that we pull up, we pulled up outside of a house and outside of this house was this big green bushy tree. And the three boys and I piled out of the car and went and said, g'day to your mum and dad. And the boys were really excited and went and gave them a big hug. And I said, I had the impression that we did this quite a bit. But what was really sad for me was that you weren't there. And so that was quite an experience for us both. And not knowing what that meant was really, really hard. And I guess for some part of our journey, it haunted us, those, that dream. And I didn't, I didn't really like it. But that morning, I usually go and play golf um, on Saturday mornings. I get up early and I go and play golf. And I said to Ash, should I go play golf? He said, yeah, go play golf. You take your mind off things. So I did. I wish I didn't because I'll be walking down fairways or I'll walk off a green and as soon as I think about that dream, I'd start crying. And my playing partners must have thought I was a complete weirdo because whenever I would think about it, I would just start crying. Um, and it really did haunt me um, as I went through this journey. And I went home that morning and Ash came out to meet me and um, she came out and gave me a hug and I said, oh, what have you been doing this morning? She said, I've been praying. And I said, oh, good. What have you been praying for? And she said, I've been praying that God will give me more time. And that really annoyed me because I thought, why would you be praying that, Ash? Why aren't you praying to be healed? And I think that dream said to Ash that this was probably not going to end how we want and we were going to keep fighting for that. But she understood that she needed more time and that what she was praying for. And she was much wiser and bigger person than me at that time to be doing that. But um, I can also remember speaking to my local pastor at that time, um, Anthony Rissell up Church of Christ up the road here in Allgate. He was, um, I guess, I was close to Anthony at the time and I said to him about this dream and he said to me, I don't really want to tell you what I think that dream means, Travis, um, but he said dreams like that are from God. And I thought, great, that's even better. So um, anyway, this dream happened and um, we went on through this journey and Asha finished her chemo and had, I think, three cycles of it and we were invited back into the RAH after her um, cancer, her chemo had finished. And we sat down with the oncologist and he said to us that we, he has some very good news and it always was a look on his face like, I thought, this is a bit strange. And he said, all of your cancer has gone. And it was like he was not expecting that. And I was thinking, um, we might have dodged a bullet here. Maybe God has healed Asher. Um, so we walked out of there with a renewed sense of hope. Um, so for what we knew, Ash was cancer-free. Um, and from the impression of the oncologist, um, was pretty miraculous. Um, so we decided at that time that we are going to go on another family adventure. And we packed up and we moved to Albury-Wodonga. And I was lucky enough to get a job over there. Asher got a job over there. And then we had probably 18 months of great fun. Learned to snowboard, the boys learned to ski, hung out in the snow a lot. Um, did a lot of bushwalking, got to see God's creation. Um, and it really is God's country over there. So we, we had a ball. And for 18 months, life was good. Um, but after that period of time, uh, things started to go downhill. Um, the little tumour in Ash's breast started to grow again. So she had a mastectomy. Again, she was cancer free. Um, but that did not last. So probably six months after the mastectomy, um, Ash was going in 
to have a scan, and this was actually going to be a good scan because if she was still cancer-free at that point, they were going to start to extend the scans. And these scans were a terrible time, such anxiety ever in the family. And so we, um, she went for a scan, and I sent her a text to say, how would you go, hun? And she sent back, all good, all clear. And I thought, you beauty, thumbs up, here we go again. We might have dodged the bullet. Uh, got home that night, pretty excited, um, put the kids to bed. Ash comes up to me. I was sitting down watching TV and goes, I need to talk to you in the bedroom. I thought, oh, what's Noah done at school? Sorry, Noah. So uh, went up to the bedroom, and I'll never forget what Ash just said. She said, the scan today wasn't good. Um, I, they found new tumours on my liver, and I have got a tumour in my spine and probably in my bones as well. Um, and what was devastating about this is that once you learn about cancer, usually the cancer that grows back this is fairly hard to treat. And this cancer that Ash had um, did not, I guess, respond to any more treatment. And it got to a point where Ash had had enough anyway. And she just got sicker and sicker and eventually ended up in palliative care in the Aubrey Wodonga Cancer Centre. But this is where... God started to do some pretty crazy and amazing things. And I can remember it all probably started um, when we were having a conversation with a palliative nurse. And I don't know if you've ever met a palliative nurse. They're amazing people. They talk about death and dying the whole time. But they're just amazing how they do it. Um, and this fellow was doing such a great job with Asha, talking to us about what to expect, what would probably happen. And he got to a point in his little chat with us where he started to talk about hope and he put some things on the board in the room and he was talking about how a lot of people find hope in legacy and what is left behind and I could see Asher getting a bit agitated about this and if you know Asher, you don't want to get her agitated or you didn't want to get agitated and then she, she stopped him and in the most beautiful way she said to him, thank you for what you're saying but I'm all good with hope, my hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord and Saviour. Sorry. And um, at that point, I was nearly floored because to see my wife sitting there sick, sick as she was and to think that she still had this amazing faith and she knew where she was going, um, it, yeah, it absolutely floored me and I still obviously get emotional about her. And then... It became even more obvious because people would come and visit her and particularly Joel one, one day walked out of her room and said to me, you know, Trav, she's not one bit scared of dying. And I said, no, I don't think she's one bit scared of dying because she, she had this absolute assurance where she was going. Um, and the other, I guess, really, she was so strong-willed um, and, and um, loved life, loved her family, but when she was sick in hospital, all she wanted to do was go home. And she would, every morning would wake up and she'd say, can I go home today, Trevor? I'd say, no, nah, hon, you can't go home, you're too sick. And she'd give me this look, like, what would you know? So um, she must have badgered the nurses so much one day that they got her well enough for her to go home. And it was really special because she was able to go home and celebrate Noah's birthday with him and the whole family was there. So she got to do that. And... Um, it was really nice to have, have her home at this occasion. And this night that she got to come home, we're about to climb into bed and she said to me, Trav, will you pray for me? And again, I was a bit floored because she would very rarely ask me to pray for her. Um, and probably we should have prayed more often together, but 
this occasion she asked me to, and I said, yeah, I'd love to pray for you. It was really hard because I had a real distinct impression that God had a very special prayer that he wanted me to pray, and it wasn't probably the prayer that I wanted to pray. So again, I was obedient, and I started the prayer with what I wanted to say, and that was, dear God, please, I pray that you will heal my wife. Um, And that wasn't really what I think God was asking me to pray. So then I was obedient, and I said, God, I ask that when it comes to that time where Ash passes through that veil, that you will bring or you will send someone to hold her hand as, as she does. So at the end of the prayer, Ash said, thank you, Travis, that was a beautiful prayer. Oh, well, really? And um, amen. And she got sicker and sicker and ended up back in hospital again. Um, and one night we, again, were climbing, as she was in bed and I was settling down for the night um, to uh, settle down and turn the light off and I could sense that Asha was sitting bolt upright in bed. So I turned the light on and there she was sitting bolt upright in bed. And I said, what are you doing, hun? And she goes, I'm not going home. And I said, what do you mean you're not going home? For the last month, you've been badgering everyone about going home and now you're not wanting to go home? And she said, no, I'm not going home with them. And she was definitely pointing to something or someone in this room. Um, and it wasn't like she was scared at all. But she said, I'm not going home with them. They've come to take me home. I'm not going home. And I thought, what the heck? Anyway, um, as I thought about that, I absolutely believe that was an answer to prayer. And I do believe that God had sent someone that night to take her. But being her, she said no. And it was like God said, okay, you, you're obviously very stubborn. I've created you very stubborn. I will leave you here until Mother's Day and then you're coming home. And that's what happened. So on that, on that Mother's Day, um, the boys got to say, uh, spend one more Mother's Day with Ash and that night um, she was taken home. And this probably, no one knows about what happened in that room that night. Um, but this, for me, I think is probably the most emotional part of this whole journey because it's not because of what Ash had do- because of Ash passing away, but it's because of what God did in that room that night. I mean, I will share, obviously share it with you. So as Ash, I guess, took her last breath, I was there with her. Um, and I, I guess, was a fairly anxious about, about what had just happened. Um, and I, praying to God at that time, and probably, I guess, in a sense, is a bit of lack of faith. But I can remember praying to God, I just saying, God, I need to know that Ash is okay. I need to know that she's in your hands and that you now have her. And um, again, it it was probably, being a Christian man, I probably should have already known where she was. Um, But human nature, I had to ask. And um, God answered my prayer in an amazing way. So I prayed this prayer and obviously Ash had, had gone. And as I prayed this prayer, at the back of my head here, I could almost hear this voice say, listen, it was really quiet, but calming voice, just say, listen. And I can remember spinning around and thinking, what the heck? And after the shock of overcoming the idea that there's actually nobody in the room, this is what I heard. I heard these words, well done, well done, my good and faithful one. 
Welcome to the place where you belong. Well done, well done, my beloved child. You have run the race and now you're home. Welcome to the place where you belong. And without a word of a lie, that is what I heard. And it wasn't actual audible words, it's words that come out of a speaker of a song that was playing in Ash's hospital room at that time. And what's so amazing about this is that, firstly, the timing is a fairly amazing thing, but also this particular song had held unbelievable significance to Ash in her last few uh, weeks and months. Um, But before I speak about this with you guys this morning, I'd just like to invite the band to come back up because these talented people have learnt this song and they're going to play it for you in a minute. Um, So just to give you a bit of background about this song, it's called Well Done and it's performed by a band called The Afters. Um, And as I said, in Asha's last few weeks and months on this earth, she developed her absolute love for this song. And her love for this song came through a connection that she'd made with a pastor. Um, This pastor um, was doing a podcast in the US and he was documenting um, how he was dealing with his end stages of cancer. And the words of this song um, and the words of this man resounded so strongly with her. He spoke about a feeling and an assurance of being held in the centre of God's palm. And he spoke about the fact that he was going to love and honour God no matter what was thrown his way. And if she hadn't already, Ash became so determined to do the same thing. And I can tell you that she definitely achieved her goal. In doing so, um, she also showed everybody around her what it really means to love and honour God, regardless of what is put in front of you. So as I mentioned previously, the band is going to play this song in its entirety. And as you listen to this song, I don't want you to sit there and think about your end of life. It's not what it's about. Even though what we are promised is amazing, and I can tell you it's a reality. Rather, I'd just love you to sit there quietly and listen to the words. Um, Because as you do, I firmly believe God desires to say well done to you this morning. And for those people here who are willing, I absolutely believe God wants to come and rest beside you, put his arms around you and reveal exactly how close he is to you right now. We don't believe in a dead God. We believe in a living God. And I can guarantee he wants to touch you right now.
Thanks, guys. Just as I finish, and I'd love to pray and just put a challenge there for you guys. Just want to share one more thing with you. Um, I think it, it links back to those dreams that Ash and I had all those years ago. Ash's funeral was, was held in a big stadium. About a thousand people turned up to say goodbye. Noah and Jet were bigger and little Locke was sitting next to me and his feet could almost touch the ground in the stadium floor. Um, but more importantly, God was glorified throughout that service. And a lot of people who probably didn't know Jesus were presented with a hope and a truth that extends well beyond the grave. The boys and I, we eventually made our way back to Wodonga and for the next three years, on most Saturdays, we'd all head over to Ash's mum and dad's house. And during the summer months, we'd pile out of the car next to the shade of a big green bushy tree. And during this time, we'd be, we were able to make many special, special memories while remembering a beautiful wife, mum, daughter and sister. I still miss Ash every day. And I wish she was here to share the special times that I have with the boys as they grow into young men. I'm not entirely sure how it works on the other side of that veil. One day, I guess we'll all know. But I think, I like to think that it's times where God grants Asher the opportunity to look through that veil and look at her boys and smile as they venture through life. And hopefully there's not too many frowns. But what I am sure of though is that Asha has swapped her cross for a crown and she's been made whole again and she sits with Jesus as an heiress of heaven. And what is so special I think about this is all truth has now been revealed to her. And it's something for me and something for us as we sit here in this place. It's something that we should believe in and hang on to with all of our might because Jesus has defeated death. And death is the only constant thing that we are going to face, every one of us. And I would prefer to face it like Asher did then, than not. So this morning, um, as the band play the, last, play the last song, I just really wanna challenge you this morning, if God is knocking on your heart, don't just ignore that. Um, and if he is knocking on your heart this morning or if he has sat down next to you right now and you know he's putting his arm around you and he's saying something to you, don't ignore that either. And I really encourage you, there's gonna be people at the front here who will be offering prayer. Don't keep that to yourself. If It can be really confusing. I know when, when God knocks on my heart, I'm thinking, what, what is that about? And it's really important that you, I guess, if you're up for it, come out the front for prayer and, and support with that. And there's a great Bible story of Peter climbing out of that boat. He experienced a miracle because he had the guts to walk on water. And although he sunk, Jesus was there to pick him up and bring him back up. And I believe 100% that there is people here this morning that Jesus wanted to do the same. And what stops us, I think, sometimes is that we think that I have to change or you have to be someone else. I can't come to Jesus like I am right now. I wanna tell you that's a massive lie. It's a massive lie of the enemy. You can come to Jesus however you are. And it's not up, 
for you to worry about that. That's for Jesus to worry about. He just wants you to come to Him, get out of the boat, put your foot on that water and come forward if you need to. I really, really strongly encourage you that because like I said, I want to face death like Asher faced death. And it's my prayer that young people particularly and old people get to face death as she did because death has no sting and you have got nothing to worry about I've sat there and sat through it it's not what you think if you have Jesus in your corner it is not what you think so if you don't know that this morning come up the front and get some prayer talk to somebody about that because you don't have to face it like that alone will you just pray with me as I finish Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the suffering that you went through to die on that cross so that we no longer have to fear, fear death. I pray this morning that there are people in this room that you are knocking on their heart, that they will have the courage to step out of the boat and come forward for prayer or at least speak to someone who they love and trust about what they're going through, Lord. I pray for people in this room who have experienced heartache, suffering. And I pray again that they'll have the courage to include you in the heartache and the suffering. Because turning your back, turning our back on you at those times are the worst thing that we can do. I thank you again for all that you've done for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.